Hey everybody, it's Jake and I am alone in the basement. For this episode, we're going to be talking to two people. Uh, it's always fun when you uh, can chatter with more than just one. But we're going to be talking to the mighty Bosch and Sid Morgan, uh, known throughout the New England area. Uh, awesome. They're two awesome people and uh, I'm really excited to hear their stories and everything that we're going to be talking about today, uh, especially from you know an area that's near and dear to my heart. So, uh, you guys know the deal by now. Just stick around, and in a few seconds, we'll be talking to the Mighty Bosch and Sid Morgan. Hi, everybody, and we are back. We are with the Mighty Bosch and Sid Morgan. Again, thank both of you for taking some time out of your evening and talking to me about you guys and wrestling. <laughs> Very cool. Appreciate being here. Thank you much. Thanks for having us. Uh, so, I will start with the question you've probably been asked a million times in your lives. But how was it that you remember getting into wrestling? Sid, your answer's shorter, so you go first. Yes and no to the shorter. Okay, so <laughs> I didn't grow up with wrestling. I grew up, we had four channels, channel two, three, four, and five, and four and five were the same thing, and chapter two, uh, channel two was PBS. So my exposure to wrestling was largely non-existent. It was in little places. It was in the opening scene of Highlander. It was, I knew it existed. I knew it was this thing that people were like, oh, you know, these people are beating each other up and it's real, no, it's fake. And, you know, Kid Logic was like, well, they're clearly throwing each other around. So I don't know how that can be fake, but I also don't know how an undead, how there's an undead magician. So I didn't, I, I never really got it. Um, and then in the summer of 2018, uh, Bosch actually started introducing me to pro wrestling. And a couple months later, October of 2018, I actually saw my first live show, which was Wrestle Party in Providence. And I went and I went there going, oh, it's a black box show. This is going to be like community theater. There's probably some highlights, but it might be a little bit awkward, you know, like <coughs> town plays are. And I... I hurt myself laughing. It was, it was unbelievable. Um, and I kind of started realizing that wrestling was physical storytelling, sometimes verbal, but it is, it, it's not so much the, here's a couple people beating each other up, but here's a story told through physical means. And that's really when I started falling in love with it. Um, with when I started to understand and appreciate the character work and the narratives being told, which you really nailed it. The best pro wrestling is when the story's being told, which is something that some places get and some places don't. Um, and it all depends on the performers, the wrestlers, the workers, the promoters, the fans, and, and basically it's an all-encompassing environment. My story starts much farther back um, because I am old. Um, uh, when, uh, when I was a kid, and this was like early 80s, as in like 81, 82 and such, um, being the oldest son of immigrant parents who were working very hard to run a business and be a family, I would spend time on the weekends or whatever with my grandparents. And 
my mother's mother would babysit me on Saturdays when my father and mother would be running the business. My father was a mechanic and my mother ran the books in the office. So I would be at my grandmother's house. I'd sleep over Friday night. I'd spend all day there Saturday, et cetera, et cetera. And we would watch cartoons in the morning and then wrestling was on 11 30 12 o'clock and that was the weekend thing and i would watch it with my grandmother and stuff and that's how i got introduced to pro wrestling is because it was something my grandmother and i did and um it was just before the big explosion before vince jr bought the company from vince senior so there was more territory style wrestling on tv um, at the time, it was, I think it had just converted from being WWWF to WWF and things like that. And, you know, we would watch it. And there was a lot of, you know, national hero wrestlers, you know, who was from Puerto Rico, who was from Russia, who was from Mexico, who was from what, whether or not they legitimately were or not, that, that was what the story was being told. And because, uh, my family are Italian immigrants. The one we watched the most when we could was Bruno Sammartino. And he was, he was the be all end all. And that's who we cheered for. And that's who we rooted for because he was like us and everything like that. And that's, and this was after his title runs and everything like that. Like he was on, on in the twilight of his career and everything like that. And I think he had just, got his redemption against Larry Zbysko at like Shea or something like that. And he yeah. was slowly transitioning out and, and, and moving on because at that time he was, had been doing it for like 30 years or something. Oh yeah. Something. So, and that, and like he was working with his son at the time and you know, things like that. And that's where I got my first exposure to pro wrestling. And, and, and it was a thing that I looked forward to because again, it was with my grandmother and, and my family and it which is just a thing that we did. Yeah. And uh, so what you're, you're referencing for maybe those who are listening and don't really uh, maybe know what Bosch was <laughs> talking about is uh, at that point, that was WWF's championship wrestling program, I believe. Uh, I think the network still has old shows of that, but uh, lo and behold, that was a time when they were literally, doing tapings out of like high school gyms. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And then, and that was, and again, back then too, I, I had a few more channels than, than Sid did when Sid was growing up. So we got, I had, I had the, the UHF channel as well as the VHF channel and everything like that. So we mainly just got WWF, but sometimes we would get like mid South wrestling or occasionally we get like USWA or something like that. But mainly because in this area, it was the WWF territory. That's what we got to watch. And that's what it was, you know, I and mean, those were the people we saw and that's the things that, that were prevalent. So, yeah. but yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely college gyms and high school gyms and, and, and the sportatoriums and, and things like that. You, you weren't selling out, you know, the civic centers and the, and the convention centers and the giant stadiums and stuff like that. Cause that wasn't a thing back then. Yeah. Uh, my mom and dad are actually from Massachusetts. Uh, they lived most of their lives there before they moved uh, to where I am in New York in like their mid thirties. So I knew a lot about what they told me from growing up and watching. And, uh, like, I was blown away when my mom told me that there was a channel in Boston that got world class. 
And I thought that made zero sense yep. to me. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that was the dawn of the cable era and everything like that. Yeah. So that was starting to be craziness, you know? And there was just so much that you could start absorbing and things like that. And and again, you're right. There was so, like, you would hear rumblings of this these people from different areas that you didn't get to see on TV, except if it was, like, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning on random channel, whatever, because on a Sunday night until a Monday morning, because that's what, when they were uh, showcasing that, because that's when they could get time. Yeah. And uh, my mom, I think she told me that the place that her and my dad went the most to watch shows was, I want to say she was, she said it was a roller rink, but it was called Witchies. And she went there a lot in like the late 70s, early 80s and told me stories about like pissing off Mr. Fuji and he spit in her face. <laughs> and just how different it was then compared to now. Yep. Back then it's more akin to what indie wrestling is now. Yeah. With just way more protection of the business. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, do... E- uh, well, Sid kind of gave an answer of what... what first hooked her with wrestling with it being kind of like that first live performance. But Bosh, was there anything specific that you remember that hooked you on wrestling? Um, I think one of the earliest matches I ever saw on TV was, I want to say it was, Something like Pedro Morales versus random journeyman wrestler that whose name escapes me at this moment. And it was on like, and again, it was like a Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon television program. And I, I honestly don't remember what it was. Um, I think that's what it was. And I was intrigued, but I remember the really big match that like really like made me go oh wow this is like a thing like almost like the comic book came to life was I remember seeing Hogan beat Iron Sheik for the title in the garden because they played it on uh, on on uh, WLVI 56 which was the UHF channel at the time and it was right after the Madison after he beat Sheik in the Madison Square Garden. It wasn't live because they didn't do that then, but that was the big one. And that 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 basically hooked me. It was like, wow, this is a thing. And it became a thing. And they, sometimes they would show old footage of things or uh, you could get, uh, you could see old films or whatever like that. But the one big match that really kind of like set me on the track that I was going to be a wrestling fan was Hogan versus Sheik. At the Garden and Hogan win it. So, honestly, you got to see two really awesome things in wrestling. One, Prime Andre, which a lot of people... There's not a, enough footage out there of when Andre was mobile and could do the things he did. Like, mm-hmm. 70s to, like, early 80s Andre, he did crazy stuff. But you also got to see the birth of Hulkamania all the way through, you know, to WrestleMania three. In you know in WWF's golden age, yeah. I 
for for me again, and I mean, I say it jokingly that I'm old, and by I'm 44. I'm going to be 45 this year, um, so I did get to see a lot of that. I got to see a lot of names that a lot of people don't either recognize or understand the impact they have, which is why I throw a lot of people when I say who my Mount Rushmore was. But yeah, I saw, I remember watching his, his, I remember that my father got me tickets to watch WrestleMania two at the Providence civic center. Oh, closed circuit on closed circuit TV. And for those who are out there who don't know what close closer to TV was what eventually grew and evolved and morphed into becoming pay-per-view. But the, literally, we had 15,000 people watching TV in the Providence Civic Center because that's how they broadcast it. I, that's how I saw wrestle. I, that was my first big event I got to see live, quote-unquote, even though it was basically not happening there so i mean but yeah it's like, it's like what you it's like when bars do watch parties for popular shows or you go to a movie theater for a theater or sports outing only it's a little bit bigger of a venue but yes like there still are analogies it's just morphed now you know it was then it was crazy, and I couldn't. Un- and and as a young kid watching, it, I couldn't understand what was going on. I was like, we, I was here to see a wrestling event, but there was no ring. My father basically took me to a place to watch TV. It was so, <laughs> it was so weird. It. I mean, I was. It was what? Let's see. WrestleMania two was nineteen eighty five, eighty six, eighty six. So I was nine years old. Like, this was unfathomable. This was weird. We went someplace. I wasn't with family. I was with random people watching TV on own, basically movie screen sized uh, projectors and stuff like that. And it was just, it was such an experience. I and mean, it's just crazy. But yeah, those were, that was my big thing. And yes, I did. I got to see Prime Andre. I got to watch The Birth of Hulkamania. I got to see. You know the the birth of the cable explosion, primetime wrestling, and stuff like that. So it was definitely crazy. And Hogan was the guy who basically cemented my whole. This is this is something I am interested in. Which he and, he did for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, having Bosch was probably my first friend who was who I knew and wrestling was something he was really into. I had other friends here and there who liked it, but they never really talked about it much. Um, And I'm the type of person that if a friend goes, hey, I'm interested in this thing and I'm really passionate about it, I try to learn about that thing. Um, And I wasn't an easy sell at first, mostly because I was watching matches and I have a martial arts background. I'm like, what? Why why are they doing it like that? That what? Um, And... But I had him, I, you know, I had someone there who was able to sort of help get, you know, I was get, getting the context and the contextualization and the history. And I was, that helped me sort of transition into understanding what was going on. Like, stop thinking about it this way. You know, you have to reframe it. And that, that definitely helped a lot because I was able to start enjoying it as its own thing through this introduction and a lot of what you said makes sense uh especially with 
you know, backgrounds in martial arts. Uh, I did Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for a little while. And that was after I had already, you know, trained. So I'm going to do certain things. And they're like, why are you doing it like that? Because I wasn't realizing that in my head I'm doing it in a way to essentially protect the other person. <laughs> Not really try to do any joint manipulation. <laughs> oh, yeah. Trying to train Sid without you know, having them, you know, joint lock you and... <laughs> Everything like oh that. So, so I, I, I'm trying to learn the unlearned muscle memory. I haven't trained judo in about seven years, but there's still the underlying muscle memory plus what I did before judo. And so I'm working with someone, you know, like I'm working on training and they're like, and I want to know like, Hey, is this too stiff? Oh, don't worry. Go ahead and be stiff. I'm like, no, <laughs> no. Do you know how long, how much effort it takes for me to, when I put someone in an arm bar, not to strike at the elbow. Yep. Like, when I do an arm bar, that's the control point. You know, I know I know how to, you know, do the light control there, but <laughs> no, don't tell me to be stiff. <laughs> I'm trying to learn how to safely hurt you. <laughs> we we have made me we have made much much progress since since Sid started training in in the art of the pro wrestling so it's but yeah those first few sessions was very like what are you doing oh my god ow 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 okay but so. I, i'm trying to remember if it was something anoki said or if it's just something i think he said but i'm pretty sure that anoki said pro wrestling in itself is a martial art because it's something that takes so much time to learn and to craft and to do correctly it's it's a martial art not in the form that you are not in the traditional form of the combative martial arts per se because most martial arts are studying with the concept of i'm gonna up this to sparring and to actually fighting it's more it's more akin to um the the demonstrative martial arts the ones where because there are things that you do in pro wrestling that you wouldn't do in a street fight. Um, because Speak for yourself. No, you did shoot moves that work in pro wrestling in a street fight. All right, that's fair. Um, You're saying you don't keep salt in your pockets at all times? Uh, I used to keep a pack of cigarettes in my pocket. Uh, in, the, in the 90s, uh, he got in a street fight with some, some neo-Nazis and suplexed one of them. That's the Unnatural. best story ever. Yeah, oh, yeah no, that, there was definitely the oh, oh, I knew I, knew I liked you, but I like you so much more now for this story of you. <laughs> yeah, I can, um, I can, I can tell that story later. Okay, but, but yeah, there was. So I actually came. So the way the way Bosch and I actually met was through uh, live action role play. Um, you pl you take a character and you do improv theater with a bunch of other people in a scenario. And I realized that that there's elements of, in both. Yeah. What you do in wrestling, you are risking your body, you are risking your limbs. People get genuinely injured, but you're still you're taking on a caricature of you're taking on you become as a wrestler. No matter who you are, you become a symbol in the ring. Your your character, you have elements. You're, it's it's not you're not yourself so much. 
and you are doing combat with someone else who's also playing some sort of icon. Um, so that's a really big part of it all. Yeah, and that's a, a really great way of putting it because I, I, I can understand that and it, it makes sense to me in that, you know, it's we're, we're making these characters and we're taking parts of ourselves and putting them in those characters. But in some cases, it allows you to be something completely different than who you are. Right, and I am by no means, and I don't want anyone to go like, oh, you're breaking kayfabe, or oh, you're, you're burying pro wrestling. That's not what I'm doing, because when you see someone jump across a ring, when you see someone hit someone with a chair, they're doing that. It's, but there's still a skill in how you do that. Um, people are really bleeding in the ring. Yeah. Um, but it's a conversation. A, a violent one, but it's a conversation. And there's also, I mean, Shibata to me is, is one of the prime examples of, you know, there are people that sometimes take it too far unintentionally in trying to make this look as authentic as humanly possible. And I'm sure when he threw that headbutt at Okada, he wasn't thinking, I'm going to get an aneurysm. But... Mm. It was just so much to him to, you know, when you saw his matches, he wanted you to believe that this was a legitimate grappling fighting contest. And I can get that because that was what I wanted until I realized I was just being dumbly stiff for no reason. <laughs> and don't get me wrong. Some of my favorite matches are the really high technical ones. I love seeing the skill of when people have have good technical mat work, I love it. It's so amazing to see that nuance. Uh, for one of those reasons, uh, Volkan is one of my all-time favorite wrestlers because of how smoothly he was able to do all of those things in rings. And, I mean... It didn't almost didn't make sense. Okay, yeah, here's a guy from the Soviet Union who as, you know, a master of sport and sambo and he's just gonna go and, you know, tear through these people. But it it looked so believable and it still is, even when I watch his matches now. His scissor sweep, just everything he did was so technically perfect. So I, you said it doesn't make sense. And I just want to, like, because this came up when we were actually with the Thunder Buddies. <laughs> Wrestling doesn't need to make sense in a standard way. Gimmicks don't need to make sense. They need to be believed. You could, because you're not, we're, we're suspending some of the rules of reality for this. Um, because, you know, some of the, the fights, it's like, yeah, no, if, if we know that we know we're suspending the rules for reality because everything is because things are all resolved in the ring. Um, Listen, if you can sit there and watch a program and see an undead necromancer merge and morph into some kind of cult leader, then turn into a biker and then go back to being an undead <laughs> phenomenon of, of supernatural proportions and be entertained by it. You can, you know how to suspend disbelief. Yeah. And everything like that. And there are definitely, there's definitely things that happen that you're just like, well, that was just late. And then there are things that are happening. You're like, 
you get caught up in the magic and the mysticism. You don't go to a play like Les Mis or Grease or Jesus Christ Superstar or Wright or something like that and go, well, obviously this is fake. You you suspend your disbelief for a minute. You you get involved in the story. You get everything like that. And that's the thing about pro wrestling that a lot of people don't the people who don't get pro wrestling don't understand. Those are, and those are the people who walk up to you and be like, "You like pro wrestling? You know it's fake, right?" It's like, "Well, duh." You know, and in in this day and age, my favorite comeback to that it was like, "Oh my god, I know, right?" And then 5 minutes later it'd be like, "Oh, so did you just see, you know, Spider-Man No Way Home?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, it was great." I'm like, "You know it's fake, right?" Yep. <laughs> and they look at you and you're like, "What?" I'm like, "Yeah, it's not so so fun. Like, obviously, we know X, Y, and Z." But we're choosing to ignore that because it entertains us, and that's and that's the thing. And I have you, a friend you, who calls pro wrestling modern day commedia dell'arte, and I've always kind of liked that um, because it's like because I, I like his his it's a steadfast refusal to to put it down and be like no this is this is art and it has a place in a long standing artistic tradition, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but. Um, there's a, I think I, I, it, I've watched a couple people who do some really great takes about wrestling. Um, and I'm trying to remember the one it is. I know it's not wrestling isn't wrestling, but there's one where someone talks about the thing about pro wrestling is everyone's in on the joke. The worker, especially in this day and age of the internet, we're all in the joke together. The audience doesn't want to feel stupid. Because, you know, like they want to be they want to be they want to be deceived in a way where they don't feel stupid. They want to be in on the joke with us. Like, so, yeah, it's, you know, we 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 know that eyeball wasn't removed, um, but we're going to go with, you know, if they if you sell us the story right and you don't treat us like we're idiots, if you make us believe that's what we want. Except for the one case where the eyeball did come out. Yeah, but okay, you put it back in. I, I was thinking of the the recent one. I know, I know, but yeah, anytime I hear eyeball, I think of Vader. Yeah, since talking about the Rey Mysterio angle where they they where he almost lost, where he lost his eye, but not really, and everything like that. Oh, okay, but, yeah, and then the uh, then they did something yeah. similar with with uh, Alistair now Malachi Black, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And, but, but, but look at the difference. So like. With Mysterio, they kind of like ran that angle and then just kind of pretended it never happened to some extent. And then Alistair or Malachi takes that and literally has been running with it in a in a way that still works in a completely different company. He's like, okay, how am I going to make how how are we going to play this angle in a way that people can can be part of it and you know you know not feel like I'm treating them like an idiot, right? Which, I mean, you both made really great points that that I enjoy and, and I kind of use too. Especially when people will, will say it's fake. And then I love to throw that back. Well, the stuff that you like is also you have to suspend your belief to a certain point. You don't walk into a movie and sit down and think, oh, well, that's fake or this is fake or that's stupid or that makes no sense. Yeah, you know, you you can watch a movie from like the late sixties, early seventies, you know, in the in the proto years of CGI and everything like that, and you don't sit there and be like, oh, I can see that wire, oh, I can see this. Like, you don't do but that. Sometimes they, they do. 
<laughs> I, all right, yeah, fine. Yeah, sometimes you do, but you you maybe not right there and then in the moment because you want to believe, you know. And it's it's also like a different different types of theater work better in different formats. It's why literal adaptations of of stage musicals rarely work. They have to be modified for screen. Um, but if you if you enjoy like discourse about like the storytelling of wrestling. There's a video on YouTube I recommend, which is called Professional Wrestling is Stupid and Beautiful and I Love It. And it's someone doing a breakdown on sort of like, this is storytelling. And like from a very earnest and genuine point of view, talking about how pro wrestling in multiple different companies um, does both short and long form storytelling and how there's this give and take. And... Yeah, and and you also said something too that for a long time, for me for some reason I I don't know if I like didn't want to accept it or it took me a long time to grasp. But wrestling is an art form; it really is. And because I loved it so much and didn't want it to be ridiculed, and a lot of what I started watching in my early teens to this day has been you know that Japanese more sport oriented theme that I wanted to see it more as a sport, but it's more than that. It's, it is art. And to be fair, I think there's also a deliberate sort of almost, it's sort of a bias based on social class presentation because, because we think, you know, when we think of art, we're thinking of like ballet and, you know, museums where professional wrestling has, and that has sort of like this, well, it has that almost like upper class association where pro wrestling is um supposed to be like the common man like some of the biggest face gimmicks are people whose character is i'm the common man i'm one of you um so there's almost resistance in its actual branding of being blue collar as being artistic ignoring the fact that there is a whole swath of amazing type of art that are entirely blue collar (laughs) yeah but in terms of how we overall present it the kid, you know, the awkward kid in elementary school who who's really into pro pro wrestling and comic books is going to be very uncomfortable being like, this is art, because that's a thing he's going to get pick, picked on for. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. You didn't know what you were getting into when you asked it to be on this show. We, we totally deep dive in this and giving you like. Like dissertations and stuff. <laughs> well, no, and, and actually, I'm really thoroughly enjoying that because it's something that, you know, in private conversations, I try to get this deep with with you know my friends who love wrestling because, I mean, I guess let's be honest, this is a huge part of our lives, and for some of us, it's this huge comforting thing that you know it's something we can always go to, whatever mood we're in, whether we're happy or sad, you know, angry. Whatever, there's some wrestling you can watch that's going to make you feel better, and there's reasons for that. Yep. Yeah. Not wrong. It's like when you watch, you know, your favorite TV show over and over and over again because you just want something to that comforts you and makes you feel better, and you get that with pro wrestling. You know, or sometimes you want to just see somebody get their rear end handed to them because <laughs> what a jerk they are and. Yes, hit him in the head with a steel chair or whatever. And it's like, yeah, that's, sometimes it's cathartic. <laughs> You're right, it can be. And I think that's 
a side, I got, well, now I guess it is a side tangent, but I think that's why I've always enjoyed companies that the, the main championship is held by a heel because I love that story of the face, you know, getting screwed over time and time again till finally the moment comes and they the give problem, the heel everything they deserve. Now, see, that's an interesting thing, but that's a very... That's almost a very 90s attitude about things. It is because a that, throwback. It is. And I, but now, let's go back even farther. I grew up in the golden era of, of modern-day sports entertainment or whatever you want to call it. The champion at the time, the Bionendo, was the ultimate face. Yes. Who could who was able to overcome any obstacle, which is complete, like, it's it's the antithesis of what everybody does today. Because a lot of people, a lot of promotions, a lot of things like that, you see, the heel is the guy who's got the title, and it's all about the chase and seeing who can, you know, f- finally give him that comeuppance. And then that face gets that title, and they only have it for X amount of time, until someone does something and, and, and they lose it, and now the chase starts over again. And maybe it's with the same person, or maybe it's uh, somebody different. But I sat there for four years watching Hulk Hogan <laughs> topple all these monstrous evil doers who had their lackeys and their managers or their whatevers who were doing everything they can to try to take him down. And the person who ends up taking him down the first time is because of crazy, nutty, you know, shenanigans. Then he gets back to the mountain and he goes for another year or two. And the person who takes him down is the other good guy. Yes. <laughs> like, you, like, and that's that's the era I grew up in, and that's the storytelling aspect. Like I like I said, I watched WrestleMania. One, I saw, you know, Hogan and Mr. T versus Orndorff and, and Roddy Piper. I watched WrestleMania 2 on closed circuit. I remember the craziness of, of, of WrestleMania 3 and the Pontiac Silverdome. People don't understand this. That was probably the biggest non-sporting sporting event to ever happen. And there was almost zero coverage about it. Yeah. Because... In the 80s, this was still, in its infancy, it was still technically pro-wrestling. We weren't pulling back the curtain. We were still having things like Dr. Death, Steve uh, Steve Williams, punching legitimate news personalities and journalists to keep kayfabe alive. Yeah, People nowadays don't get that. We, in this day and age with the internet and the social media and everybody pulling back the curtains and opening up the... De- like. Everything's exposed now, and it kind of, I don't want to say diminishes, but a lot of the mystique that was pro wrestling then is gone because, yeah, everybody's in on the joke now to the point where they think they can write the joke better. Yes. Back then, you, back then, that you, nobody knew, like, yeah, you kind of knew. But there were definitely times where you weren't sure because Hulk Hogan knocks out Richard Blazer. Uh, promoting WrestleMania 1 because he put him in a, in a sleeper hole because you're protecting the business. That dude ended up making $5 million off of Vince McMahon yep. so they could keep things out of, you know, keep the spotlight off of everything. 
You know, like Doc at that was punching people. You had people chasing wrestlers out of stadiums and stuff like that because they believed it. Bruno San Martino ran so long as champion because people believed in him so much because that was the story we told. Yeah, and you that have to think about it. Bill Watts would fire wrestlers if they lost legit, like if they were in a bar and they lost a fight. You got fired because you made wrestling look bad. Right, because you should be able to handle yourself. And, you know, and better or worse, I don't know. I can't say. Personally, I think the fact that there was a time where there was a clear distinction between the character versus what was happening behind the scenes and in real life, I think was it was important. Like, even when Andre, in an interview... Um, Carrie Elways and Mandy Patinkin both say it. they were doing the Prince's Bride, and Mandy Patinkin looked at Andre one day during during uh, lunch break or something like that, and he asked Andre flat out if wrestling was fake, and Andre kept kayfabe. I don't think it was just kayfabe though, because Andre was so much bigger and was a mountain. People were also hitting him harder too. But yes, there was that as well. Andre, and everything like that. So like. There's a certain level at which it's not even just kayfabe, the fact that he was going through a lot of hardship, like things that were like, oh, they pulled their punches. No, no one pulled their punches with Andre. Right. I think that's because of all the stories of Andre not pulling his punches on people. That was the thing. Like Andre was also, because of what he was and because of what he was going through and his physicality and everything like that and all the personal stuff that he had going on, the medical stuff and everything like that, the only, that he was literally the sideshow freak that transcended being a sideshow freak. You know, like, I've heard stories, I work with a guy now in my shoot job who used to um, be a, a waiter in New York back in the 80s and met Andre and sits there and tells me about the seven cases of wine Andre put down, and I'm looking at this guy like, "Why are you, why are you lying?" He's like, "I'm not lying." He's like, "This, I actually sat there all night with him. We closed the restaurant at midnight. We were there till four in the morning, and Andre was still drinking, and he wasn't drunk. Like, Andre was superhuman, and the stories about him some seem exaggerated, but there's too much of them to actually be whatever. But there was a point in time where Andre is talking to actors." who are basically in the same kind of craft and telling them, no, it's not fake, you know? And that's the big thing, too. Language is an interesting thing. People keep getting fake and predetermined mixed up yes. instead of and, and keep interchanging them, and it's not like that. And uh, Yeah, and if anyone ha isn't familiar with the video Wrestling Isn't Wrestling, uh, it is... You can search for it on YouTube. It's an absolute riot. It is done from a place of love. And it's talking about, like, all the things that wrestling is. And it's, um, it, that's what it talks about. It's like, it's, and um, that's one of the things from it is it's, it's predetermined, not fake. Um, and, if anybody, and if anybody ever needs to know whether or not something, if wrestling is really fake, just look at, Draws, who's crippled, yep. Owen Hart, who's been dead. Because let me tell you something, if that's fake, that's the longest freaking storyline anybody's gone on. You know, broken necks, broken bones, paralyzation, deaths. Like, the fake is not 
the same. You know, fake is when you take a, a headband and stick an arrow on each side of it and put it on your head and see you got shot through the head. Well, that's obviously fake because obviously you did. Predetermined is completely different. And you can call it sports entertainment. You can call it stage combat. You can call it Commedia dell'arte or theater in the round or whatever you want to do it. But it still takes a toll on you. And, yeah. and, and the people who are, who are very... That think they're so smart to say that it's fake, obviously don't get it. I, I also just want to add in, because we were talking about Andre and the Princess Bride. Um, <laughs> there's a book that Carrie Ellis put out. Um, that There is an audiobook that he wrote, as, that he, he spoke, he did the, the voiceover for, um, called As You Wish, Inconceivable Tales from the Making of the Princess Bride. And it the book is very much a love letter to the movie, but it is also a love letter to Andre. Carrie Elwes and the entire cast loved Andre. Um, and it's, it's, it's a really worthwhile read just for that alone. Um, just to see like, because it's Andre in a different environment, but still someone who's been shaped by, um, the experience of wrestling and um, how that was part of his life overall. I actually do want to read it because it is one of my all-time favorite movies. And uh, it's actually, uh, he came around somewhere around where I live when he was doing the yeah, promotion. Yeah, they, they did a tour. Yeah. But yeah, it had to be so weird to see Andre you know, in a different light from what all of us think when we see Andre. (laughs) And that's the thing, too. Like, a lot of people, you know, have weird memories. People don't realize that guys like Hulk Hogan weren't the first wrestlers to do movies or The Rock or John Cena or anything like that. Andre used to do TV. Yes, and movies. Andre was the monster in Conan Destroyer. You don't see him, but he's the guy in the in the suit. You know, he's the 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 Yeti in the Six Million Dollar Man TV show. Professor Toro Tanaka was in The Running Man with Jesse. Like people, I have on my return this this second go around because I was a wrestler in in the nineties and everything like that. There's a lot of people who are much younger who say they're students of the game and stuff like that, but their knowledge and their, their research or their, 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 whatever you want to call it stops at like 1993. They don't think about anything prior to that because everything is attitude error and, 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 and ruthless aggression and everything like that to, 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 to coin on some names and everything like that. people People don't understand the territory days of the sixties and the seventies, they don't get the, the, the changing of the guard in the seventies and the eighties and what led up to and why the attitude era was what it was and why we got the term sports entertainment in 1991 and everything like that, as opposed to anything before that, which was pro wrestling and why some places now call it pro wrestling and some places call it sports entertainment and stuff like that. And why it's one thing and not the other, or it's both and stuff like that. And it's just, if you're going to be a student of the game and if you're going to be someone who says they they know 
their history, you need to really dive deep. I'm I'm guilty of this. I don't follow a lot of New Japan and All Japan and any of that stuff because that style of wrestling never never interested me. I know a few names, but that's because I got exposed to them when they came in the in the crossover people. Like I know of Antonio Inoki. I know of, you know, Jushin Thunder Liger and Ultimo Dragon and stuff like that. But that's because of crossover appeal. I didn't really watch a lot of that stuff growing up because that's not what interested me. But there are things that have happened in the past that would be considered innovative nowadays, even though it's not that innovative. It was the building blocks to what has become the modern day. Yeah, and the past informs the future. And you, you just brought up a huge thing that, that comes up with me all the time is that people are like, oh, yeah, I love wrestling. I know everything about wrestling. And then I'll – so I'll you know remember that and then I'll bring up something later like, oh, hey, have you seen this? And that's when you find out that they only know Attitude Era to now. Right. Because I'll be like, oh, man, do you remember you know when Nick Bockwinkle was feuding with Kurt Hennig? And they'll be like, who are you even talking about? Right. The fact that they don't know who Kurt Henning is, number one, is a travesty. I get them not getting Nick Bockwinkle, but at the same time, too, how do you not know who Nick Bockwinkle is? And, but then I'll, they'll be like, well, who do you mean? And then if I say Mr. Perfect, then they know what I mean. Right. But to exactly. them, if, if it happened outside of, you know, the E, it, it didn't happen. <laughs> right. And that's like, I remember when the F became the E and we were getting the F out and everything. Yeah. Like, like, I remember this. This is stuff that I was kind of watching at the time because it was a thing but like when people ask me like you know oh, who's your favorite wrestler or who's your Mount Rushmore and everything like that and, you know they give me like oh yeah well it's you know it's Undertaker and Ric Flair and Stone Cold I'm like really those are your that's your Mount Rushmore I'm, they're like yeah well who's yours I'm like all right well first there's Bruno and everybody goes oh yeah it's like like that 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 door unlocks or that that chest gets open and yep. it's like oh that's right there was wrestling before 1993 or there was wrestling before the attitude era or sports entertainment became a thing like so you have bruno sammartino you have hulk hogan you have myself personally because i mean i'm always going to go there because this is the kind of guy i am because I'm an idiot or not, depends on how you want to go. But it's always going to be Bruno, Hogan, Andre, and maybe the last one flips from time to time. Sometimes it's Dusty Rhodes. Sometimes it's Ric Flair. Not sure. So, I love Kurt Angle. He is not a Mount Rushmore for pro wrestling. Kurt did a lot and was by far an amazing wrestler, but he didn't change the industry the way those guys did. My, my, my top five wrestlers, my top five wrestlers, Kurt Angle's in the top five. Guaranteed. My, my context for Jake on this one, because um, I have some, I have meta knowledge here, is that um, Kurt Angle is, as you mentioned, one of his top five. And that has to do with the fact that Kurt Angle came, I mean, Kurt Angle was a gold medalist Olympian in wrestling and made the transition. And um, 
I don't think we've talked about it tonight, but like that's where he where Bosch came from. Like I remember so watching Kurt Angle like, win that gold medal with a broken freaking neck. I saw that live. <laughs> like that was huge for me. And then seeing him show up two years later and he here's this Olympic gold medalist, because I was a shoot wrestler in high school and college, here's this gold medalist who's now a professional wrestler. Holy crap, this is a thing I can do. He like, made it real for you. Like, I wasn't sixty, I wasn't blonde hair, I didn't have Uber muscles or anything like that. I wasn't seven foot four, five hundred pounds, you know, I that wasn't me. Now, here's a guy who's got kind of the same background and took something that was legitimate and wasn't a football player turned pro wrestling, wasn't, you know, whatever turned pro wrestling. He was an actual wrestler who won the biggest prize in the world who is now a pro wrestler. Yeah. And that was just like, okay, this is the thing I can do. Which This, this is something I can, I can actually follow which it became I, more okay. real no, no, it became more real for me it became like it was a much more attainable goal and when i hear things like that i guess the you know the the purest to me wonders i wonder if that's how people felt about Vern Gagne like way back in the day cuz he was on the olympic wrestling team i mean he may not have won any medals but to know that here's this guy or you know someone like Danny Hodge with his ridiculous college record and that's that's the thing too. Back then, in those territory days, that's what gave legitimacy to pro wrestling. Because I mean, we're all fans. We all know pro wrestling came from carnival acts and strongman stuff, and blah 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 blah. And then you started getting territories and organizations and stuff like that. And here are guys that you could read about in the paper or whatever. Or there were newscasts about who had legitimate backgrounds in the actual sport who were transitioning into this thing that well i thought it was fake well it obviously can't be fake this guy was on the olympic team this guy won an olympic gold medal here's ken patera one of the world's strongest men yep you know who you know here's mark Kent. like that's where you get the legitimacy from and everything like that and that's where a lot of that came from so and again it's one of those things where back then the internet was in its infancy and prior to that, there was no such thing as the internet. So like a lot of the stuff that we got from like the wrestling magazines and things like that were like unheard of and everything like that. So when you got that bit of information and that crossover happened, you're like, Holy Christ, there's something to this. Yep. I, I think in the day of the internet where kayfabe is largely unobtainable in a lot of cases, or it's, it's, it's a veil now. The challenge for wrestlers is not so is not kayfabe, but is sell is making people believe even when they know it's a character, um, and it's still doable. It's just it's a slightly different thing. Um, as a side note, I figured out I remembered where I found that that quote about um, pro professional wrestling is something where we're all in on the joke. Um, it's a book called The Squared Circle, Life, Death, and Professional Wrestling by David Shoemaker. It is a history of professional wrestling. It starts with it as a cardiac, goes through, it talks about territories um, through Vince Sr., Vince Jr. Um, definitely recommend it. It's, I mean, obviously, any, any someone who does writing on wrestling is going to have their own 
own take that not everyone's going to like, but it is, it is written from a place of understanding of the sport and a care for it. Um, and it really does go into all these elements. Like they talk about sort of like, you know, these name these names you're talking about, you know, Henning, Mr. Perfect and sort of like the things that made him click, like, maybe this didn't work, but he did these things and they were perfect. Um, so definitely recommend that as if you have time, it's something you should be able to find in the library. All right. Sid's a librarian in their shoe job. So oh, wow. they read a lot of books and have a lot of information, which is very helpful because they've been able to help me shore up my knowledge of stuff that I was severely lacking. Which is also important too, because when people get stuck just googling everything, you tend you can tend to get lost in the never-ending <laughs> pool of crazy spiral nuttiness. Yes, rabbit so, hole. So, so not only because Sid is shoot a librarian, but also because as a superhero, education and and bettering oneself is always a thing. Make sure you check out your local public library because it's free and there's a lot of great stuff in there. And remember, whatever you can't find at your local library, there's networks with other local libraries that can send you the book you're looking for. And Bingo. Um, if the library doesn't have it, here's the thing. Like, no joke, ask for things. Like, being like, hey, like, they won't always get it immediately, but, like, there's a li – I'm part of a network of 155 libraries, plus you get 1,000. There's a couple libraries in my consortia that have, that have all the pay-per-views on DVD. Wow. <laughs> Like, that's a thing. So. Sorry, we went off on a random tangent and everything like that, so. What are you talking about? We have been off off the question list since question 1.5. Yeah, we've pretty much <laughs> gone completely off in the best way possible. <laughs> oh, that's good. But, but, I mean, you were mentioning, too, like, the internet is kind of a double-edged sword in things. Because, for me, the internet awkwardly saved my fandom. Uh, I, I've said which, it oh go go ahead which is which is good and wonderful and fine and there's definitely there are pros and cons to everything when yes. it comes to technology and stuff like that I would not be able for instance to understand a lot of the people who are into for instance strong style or yes. understand everybody's admiration and appreciation of say Kenny Omega as a worker if it wasn't for the internet because the Kenny Omega I see, for instance, on AEW, who was a heel and the, has the title and was the sweeper or whatever the hell it was, wearing those god-awful pointy-toe shoes that he paid way too much money for and everything like that, doesn't make sense to me as a character, as a worker, or anything like that. If not for the internet, I wouldn't be able to do deep dives and see him in New Japan or the Tokyo Dome or anything like that doing things like having these bond burner matches or watching him have a 10 minute match with a nine year old girl and actually seeing a really good match. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and I know a lot of people are like, well, I mean, come on. And it's like, no, like he had a solid match with a child and it was believable. And there are people who have been in the profession for 25 years and can't go five minutes until I have a halfway decent story. So, like, there's good and bad. I still can't believe I ever enjoyed a match between Kota Ibushi and a blow-up doll. I, right? Like, 
but that's out there and <laughs> it was viable and it was and it looked legitimate and you could actually believe it for a bit and it's like okay this is this is a thing this is all right i see where I see where his abilities are. I see where his skills are at. Or I see the progression and everything like that. And I will say this. One of the things that I appreciate about AEW right now for good or ill or anything like that is that Tony Khan took the book away from the vice presidents and that being Cody, Kenny, the Young Bucks, and whoever else was in that little soiree or whatever like that. Because God knows the... They didn't know what the hell they were doing. They were just trying to throw everything against the wall and see what sticks. And now that they've got more storyline and more story etiquette going and stuff like that, it's a better product. Even back then when the Bucks were still running stuff and we were having all these crazy matches, it was still better than some of the crap that WWE was putting out. But the fact that there's coherence and consistency and cohesion now makes things good. And that's beneficial because you can see that progression on the internet and then at the same time too there's way too much conspiracy theory and dark crap on the internet and it's like what the hell man like i think for instance the recent thing i know we got wwe's got their big royal rumble pay-per-view coming up and the big story out of that is we've got mickey james who's going to be in the royal rumble who is the current impact women's world champion the problem with this is as much as it's gonna help their buy rate is the fact that we lose the mystique if mickey james is at the time still the impact women's champion and came out without being announced with the impact title around her waist and entered the royal rumble the stories the next day would have been 10 times more than all this lead up you're right it would have and, and it's it's buy rate versus versus wow factor and like my Royal Rumble is always a fun pay per view for me because it's always that oh who's going to show up and everything like that like okay we've got you know you're going to get a celebrity or two in there because that's how they do it. so we know Johnny Knoxville's going to be in it and you're like okay so you know he's going to be just as bad as Steve O was so he's going to take some stupid weapon <laughs> shot and then get blasted because yeah. that's what he's known for. But somebody else might show up. But, like, I don't want to know all the spoilers. I don't want to know all the secrets. Like, I was going to get the the Royal Rumble anyways. Being one of the people who got it and got to see that happen was going to be great. But now that I know it's happening, it's like, all right, now who else is going to show up? Now what else are we going to do? Like, right. are they going to bring Prince Jericho in from AEW? Like, <laughs> WTF? Like, like and... And that's the thing, like when Edge made his return and he was tweeting about it and trying to be subtle, it's like the last time I was actually surprised of some wrestlers or wrestler showing up on unannounced was when the Hardy Boys made their return at WrestleMania, whatever it was that the New Day was was the host of and they were in the four way ladder match for the tag titles. You may have not been surprised, but you were moved with Edge coming back. I was moved with Edge coming back, but he kind of knew it was happening. And it was more the emotion of Edge coming back that everybody else was having that brought me along. I was genuinely surprised when I saw the Hardy Boys and the music hit and they made the, they came down the ramp and, and had that tag match. It was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Because there wasn't a lot of buzz about it. They did everything they could to keep it 
quite an hype. Just like when AJ Styles showed up at the Royal Rumble yep. as the number two entrance. Like, that was unbelievable. And that was good because there wasn't a buildup on it. It just happened. Now it's like, oh, Mickey James is going to be in the Royal Rumble and we're probably going to have so-and-so and so-and-so. It's like, yeah. Uh, I use Anchor. And that's and oh, that's my, my thing about the internet. <laughs> Uh, I use Anchor as an app. I, and it, I have to oh, sorry, um, I basically find I have to avoid a lot of the. It, it's related to that. A lot of the fan spaces for professional wrestling. Um, like, there's a couple friends I had to unfollow, and these are real life friends because on, the only things I was getting on my feed was them getting into arguments that, as someone who does pro wrestling stuff, about like. They're just getting snarky and mean about pro wrestling. And I was like... I hate to cut you off, but it's about to cut us off. So give me two seconds <laughs> so I can get, just keep going. <laughs> I'm like, no, that's not a money grab. Like, yeah, finances might have come part of it, but that's a thing wrestlers do. Yes. Like, and I just... There's sometimes some really painful cynicism in among the fans who can't, who won't seem to be afraid to let anyone include themselves enjoy something and see what comes. And that's my biggest thing too all the time because I'll, I'll be talking to people and they'll they'll throw this under the bus or, or crap on this or that. I'm like, you do realize that there are literally probably at this point thousands of wrestling promotions around the world who all, it, well, not all because sometimes it's hard to find certain media, but a lot of these places, either, either they have their own network, they're putting up shows for free on YouTube, that you have things like IWTV where you can watch uh, you know, 100, 200 promotions under one umbrella. You can find what you're looking for and be happy. Instead, you're just choosing to be miserable on purpose. Yep. Not wrong. Are we running out of time? Oh, I don't know. I, I, I was wondering where Sid went. I thought you had to follow. Oh, nice. I, I, oh no, I was. I I wasn't sure where we were going because I know you said we're we're running into a time limit and. Uh, oh, I already restarted. We're we're good. Oh oh <laughs> shit, we're fine then. <laughs> but yeah, and, so, and part two and action. <laughs> so so here's the thing. In the indie circuit, in particular, none of us are are making are paying our bills with this. No. None of us are. We, if there was, like, I, I, I was actually, you know, um, a couple weeks ago or a month ago, Eddie Kingston wrote an article called, uh, titled, um, Eddie Kingston Doesn't Belong in Wrestling, a Professional Wrestling. And I cried reading it. But he talks in it about, like, the, I mean, and he was, he, the, you know, the grind that you do and the fact that you're often paying more than you get paid yeah. if you get paid at all. So we're doing this because this is something that we enjoy, that we love. There's something about this that we love. Um, if you don't love it, examine why you do it. If And I, I think that goes for the audience as well. Like, if, if you're going to shows or consuming the media to be miserable, like, why? <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're like, completely right. And, but that's also a genuine question, not just a snarky one. Like, why are you watching it? Like, what what is it about wrestling that gives you joy? And if you're not finding it, how can you find it again? Like, I think that's really important. 
And for me, uh, there was a, a long period of time where I was kind of one of those fans where I'd watch it and be, uh, you know, I'd be upset with this or crap on this and do that until I had like had to realize with myself, why is it that I'm being like this? And then I realized that the core of it was I'm jealous I can't do it anymore. Don't get me wrong. There's definitely oh, I I, <laughs> there's definitely shows that I have watched where I've just been like, "What was that?" Like, um, but you know what? If that's what I'm getting from a company or a product, then I disengage from that product. Like, there's a difference between dissecting a show and having fun talking about the angles and how this was done and what worked and didn't work as part of an overall, like, you know, just deep dive into it versus you know, going, trying to tear it apart just because I can. Yeah, like, you're right. So I I get what you're saying, Jake, about, you know, the, the not being able to do anymore. I started in 96. I'd blown my knee in college with college wrestling and miraculously was able to link up with some people who were part of a promotion. And they were like, hey, you got a good build still, you can do this, blah, blah, blah. Why don't you come down and do it? And I went from 96 to 99 having what I thought was the time of my life. And towards the end of that, I became a very cynical, bitter human being. And a lot of that was because of external factors and, you know, just real life and shoot situations that were just affecting me to the point where I stopped getting booked by that promotion. Now, back then there was a lot more guarded about where you were able to work. Nowadays, there are so many promotions. If you don't click somewhere, chances are you're working in three or four other places. So it's not that big of a, of a, of a, of a hit to your career. If you're traveling and doing stuff like that back then, we didn't have that in Rhode Island. They were, three or four promotions at the time and you could only two there were it was power league wrestling which is who i worked for new england wrestling alliance which was also the rhode island wrestling alliance depending on what year it was going on then there was yankee pro i remember yankee pro but i don't think they were solely rhode island based i think they were mass based and they did shows in rhode island and connecticut I could be mistaken about that. It was 20-something years ago. And there was one that was also sort of big like that that did shows around the area. I don't think it was Top Rope. But Top Rope started it, later. Right, but I think it was, it was the, one of the companies, a different company that ended up merging uh, uh, with Yankee Pro that became right. Top Rope or something like that. So I worked for Power League Wrestling when I started in 96 and I went until 99 and they stopped booking me because I became a miserable POS. And that was a lot to do with me and where I was and what I was doing and where I was in life and everything like that. And I could, I tried after I stopped getting booking for a few months, I tried to get into the other promotion, which was the NE New England wrestling Alliance slash Rhode Island wrestling Alliance. And here I was, this shoot wrestler who had all this training and thought I was better than everybody and I could beat everybody 
you know, basically the wrong attitude to have when you're into pro wrestling, who got stopped getting booked at one promotion and tried to get into another. And the guy who ran the promotion was like, okay, you can come to training. It's 50 bucks a month or something like that. And I was like, I'm not going to pay you to train me. I already know what I'm doing. So I stopped doing wrestling because mainly I had the wrong attitude. If it was more than that, I don't know. No one's ever told me, but this is... You know, after 20-something years of thinking back on it and everything like that, this is what I make the assumption of and this is what I assume and, you know, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. So there was a point in time where I stopped watching wrestling, I stopped being involved in wrestling, I stopped caring about wrestling because I was so miserable because the thing I liked to do so much, I wasn't able to do anymore and I blamed everybody else for it. And there was a good point in time, like it went until about 2009 or so where I started being so despondent that I wanted to wrestle again. And at that point I felt I was so far out of it. I couldn't do it again. Yeah. Fast forward 10 more years. (laughs) Fast forward 10 more years. And between meeting Sid in the live action role-playing group who happened to reintroduce me to a guy by the name of Theodore J. Liftington, who 20 years prior started training just as I was being ushered out the door. Between that, meeting him again, talking to him, and that just, honest to God, to this day, I still think was a rip. Because we're sitting there talking while the other stuff is going around at this live-action role-play, and I'm talking back and forth with him, and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm an, I do this as a job, but I'm also an indie pro wrestler. And I'm like, oh, I used to be a, a pro wrestler. And he looks me dead in the face and he's like, you were this guy. You were the mighty Bosch. And I'm like, okay. So I look back over, sit over my shoulder, who's completely but when he's ignoring leaving, it wasn't just you were the mighty Bosch. It was that, like, looking at sort of consideration, like, sort of going through the Rolodex of memory going, you were Bosch. Like, genuine sort of surprise. And if you've met Liftington, Liftington has a... He is a very orative voice. Yes. So. He's very boisterous, and I love him to death and everything like that, which is part of the reason why we've formed a tag team, and hopefully we'll get some more bookings that way. But I look back at Sid over my shoulder, who's behind me doing something completely different and not anywhere near us, and they're ignoring me. So there's obviously no wink, wink, nudge, nudge going on. And I look back, and I'm like, are you putting me on? He's like, no, you're Bosch, and you had this tag team partner, and you guys were this tag team, and this was the name, and this was what your gear looked like, and this is the matches you had, and you wrestled here one time, and I saw you do And I'm sitting there listening to this guy extol basically part of my wrestling career, and I'm like, holy crap, like, this is unreal. It's very surreal. So meeting up with him... And meeting up with a couple other people, because I don't know if you know this or not, but Rhode Island is a very small state. It is. <laughs> it's a very, very tiny state to the point where six degrees of separation is too much. Um, it's more like three. Somebody I went to college with who has absolutely no official, official uh, affiliation with pro wrestling in any way, shape or form other than being my friend was friends and next door's neighbors with a guy who wrestles under the name of Coach Will. Okay, I know Coach Will. He spoke to Coach Will for me, and between Coach Will, my friend... Oh, oh, no, no, I'm taking over here. I'm taking over. So it's the night of the Royal Rumble. We're doing a watch party. 
If this it, is the 2019 Royal Rumble. Right. So this is, it's the Royal Rumble. We're getting together. It's a bunch of his college friends. I know no one. Um, and one of them has a kid who's like in, in like dressed up for Finn Balor. And we're talking and Bosch actually had left the room for a moment. He had to wash his hands or get some of the kitchen. I don't know. We start talking. Like we've been talking and he comes back and we're talking about like, this guy, he knows Lifting he knows Coach Will, and he's been doing, tra- you know, there's training over at this at, um, RWA Chop Shop and all this. And he's like, I'm going to make a phone call. And he deadass calls Coach Will. It's like, hey, so I've got this friend. He needs to come back to pro wrestling and makes a re- finds out when Will's going to be back at wrestling because Will had taken a chair shot to the head that got him concussed. So, like, at this point, Bosch is, like, like, he's still doing the, like, I don't know if I can get back into this. Like, he's been doing this dance for, since October. And I say since October because when we, I went to my first live show, it was, it was Providence Russell Party. We're there. He goes, it's his first live show in decades. Let's preface this with one thing. When, when Sid says their first live show, they literally mean their first ever actual live pro wrestling indie show the yeah, first talking, one that, i mentioned that in the first in the first bit um, uh, okay we're on part two i don't know where he we are. is standing next to me like you can feel he's like it's just like vi- he's like vibrating with the need to be back in the room and we've been in this whole time and liftington was one of the people there we were there to, to support our friend and lifting keeps mentioning that there's training at the chop shop brickhouse baker and you should come down sometime blah 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 so after several months of, of I want to do this, but I can't, his friend pulls the rug out from under him and starts calling people who, who Bosch doesn't know, but now if Bosch doesn't show up, people have been told to expect him. <laughs> Fast forward, he goes to a class finally, and he sends a text to me in Lifington. I've got rope burn. <laughs> I've got a fat lip. My knee hurts. So you had fun. It was amazing. Yeah. To 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 be to be clear, I didn't realize that the joke was being lost on the two people I was talking to. I was quoting Landau's character from Ready to Rumble about after he got beat up by Perry Saturn and, and Psycho Sid <laughs> in the movie. And how he's like, my, my, my liver's like tapioca, I'm pissed in blood, my kidney's in my throat. Like, I felt like a kid again. Like, that, I was trying to do that quote, and neither one of them was getting it or anything like that. Lyft might have, I had never seen the movie, so I had no frame of reference. But we're, he's telling us about his injury, we're like, so you had fun. So you had fun. <laughs> my dad used to but always no, quote that movie with, with Sal Bandini wanting to wrestle. Wait, what? I'm sorry. There was there was oh, mass confusion. I said uh, I I always just re- remember that movie and and that character because er, my dad used to sometimes pop in a room at me and go, "Sal Bandini, want to wrestle? Want to wrestle?" <laughs> yeah. No, he was definitely he was definitely uh, a great character. You know, and and but that was the thing. Like I I I had 20 years to to reflect back on like what I was had done and not done and what I did wrong and everything like that. So the, 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 the anxiety dance that was happening between October and the Royal rumble and everything like that. And my first practice back was 
here I am now, I'm 42 years old. I've been out of the game for 20 years. I've been itching to get back. Can I even still do this? Yep. And, and, and that's, that's a really, it's a really legitimate fear. Like it's very hard to return to something that you love not knowing if you can still do what do it. It's and, literally and where I, I, I am don't now. Wanna, <laughs> I don't want to downplay that in any way, um, but it is still it is still joyous the journey it took to get to that place. And I guess the only thing I can kind of compare that to is uh, when I did the Heartstrong Gumi show back in June, and I rolled into the ring, and there was someone in there I've known since he was a teenager. And uh, he looked at me, I looked at him, and I said, lock up. And he's like, yeah. I go, yeah. So we lock up. And he goes, are we just standing here now to, to make you feel good? And I said, no, I'm going to hit a brain buster. And he let me. And then it's that feeling of, well, can I? No, nah, you're old. Let it go. <laughs> and you know what? There were some people that that was a thing for. And there were some people that, like, for me, it, I got into that ring that first practice nervous was all get out and i had to ring rust wasn't even the right phrase it was ring seizure like nothing <laughs> worked green copper patina yeah like, seriously like i like i've told the story like i looked at brick brick looked at me we're like we kind of know each other we couldn't figure out from where we, you know, he's like, you're old. And I'm like, I know, but I'm trying to, he's like, okay, get in the ring and run the ropes. And I hit the ropes and I must've been doing about Mach three and he's laughing at me. And I'm like, I, it's been so long. He's like, all right, well, and we'll take you back. And you know, Brickhouse Baker, if you don't know him, I'm going to tell you this right now, find his stuff online, watch his stuff, because that is one man who should have made it to the big leagues who never did. And he's, legitimately a good very good solid occasion as why that green copper oxidation rust got sh shared off and i got you know polished up and everything like that because we i must have been back into training all of what maybe five six weeks before we had the first show my first return show uh, give me two seconds i can look at the calendar um, it was in. It was a show in Orleans, Mass. Uh, I'm sorry. You started. Fit was it January. Or February? It was. January. It was April. It was April. Right. So um, I had been to two class, like two classes, because I am an hour and a half away from the training location. Um, You've been going for about two months. Right. So I had been back. Me. I had been working to get the the the, the rust off and for two months, and all of a sudden we have the first show. And I barely have any gear because I'm 150 pounds heavier than I was when I stopped wrestling. And none of the old stuff doesn't fit anymore. And I'm just going to do like a, in the 90s, I'll just wrestle in jeans. And No, you can't wrestle in jeans. you got to get gear. And I'm like, what the hell? And it's like, it's a whole big to do. I remember pulling up. We drove out to Orleans to do the show. And I made a post on Facebook that I was so nervous. I thought I was going to be sick. Because I didn't know what to expect. Because the the whole everything was different. The whole vibe, the feel, the the way things were going just didn't wasn't sinking in proper for me. And and we ended up doing. I ended up getting stuck. Put in a tag team. We were 
booked his heels. Sid became the manager that day because it was how the show was going to run. And we were in a handicap match and I'm in the back trying to limber up and loosen up. And I'm honest to God fighting myself between trying to stretch and not run to the toilet and puke. And it was just... I want to throw out that at this point, I didn't actually know what a manager was. Um, <laughs> and people gave me advice that was incredibly contradictory. There, there were, I, I was asked to cut a promo. I hope it never saw the light of day. Um, <laughs> um, and I, I was so green, I was trying to stay out of the camera while managing. So trying not to block the camera shot of the brain footage. <laughs> Because theater background and you try not to be in the way and everything like that because you're not the center of attention and then finding out after the fact, oh, no, you're supposed to be because you're part of the show kind of thing. So, like, it it, it was, you know, and that was Sid's very first ever exposing coming into the business at all, not even their first active worker as a match, working a match, just working as a manager in a match that... And it was just so mind-boggling because, again, everything was just so different. When I was wrestling back in the 90s, I wasn't a sports entertainer. I wasn't an indie wrestler. I was a pro wrestler. Like, that's what it was. Yep. Now, like, you know, who's an indie wrestler? Who's that? I'm like, it's, it's still weird for me to say I'm an indie wrestler. Like that's it's a proper phrase and everything like that, or I'm an independent wrestler. Like it's it's not necessarily wrong, but for me, I'm, that's not what and who I was, and yeah. that's not who I am. I am a pro wrestler. You know, like how are you a pro wrestler? Well, I get paid to do professional wrestling. Okay, you're a pro wrestler. Like that was the that was the that was the the standard. That was what it was. You know, like am I paying my bills with it? No. <laughs> If I was, I would probably be somewhere warm right now because <laughs> none of this negative one degree crapola. But, like, I remember my my first match in the 90s versus my first match now, and I was more nervous in 2019 than I was in 1996. Wow. And that has a lot to do with age and, and, and you, know, you know, the... the the ignorance of youth and all that other stuff, because good Lord, that first match was not. <laughs> that first match is definitely a, uh, a, a, a dissertation in what not to do in a pro wrestling match. <laughs> I mean, to um, me, he, he's burying it a little bit more than it needs to be, but it was a first match for four of the five. Part- well, three of the five participants, it was their first match. Ooh. It was his first returning match at number four, and the fifth person had had a couple matches, but was still very green. Um, that being said, there was still a story told in the match. There were still dynamics, and there was still there were still a couple spots that stood out. And one thing I've learned about wrestling is you can have a match that has a lot of muddled spots in it, but what people remember are the like if the high points outshine the low points, that's what people remember. Yes, if there's something they pop hard for. Make sure that's you know it's it's about a balance thing. Was it was it a great match? It wasn't great, but it wasn't bad either. No, it wasn't bad. It just it was very weird because literally in a with you know there were six of us there. I said being the sixth person, everything like that, and the most and technically the most green of the five actual participant workers in there. I was still the one who had the most matches under my belt 
because of all of uh, what I did in the nineties. So, it but of was, course, so and he's also he. I think you're also the oldest. No, you and you know Ragnarok's close to your age. Everyone's going so. Bosh, what do we do? He's like, <laughs> why is everyone looking at me? <laughs> right. It was so that in the early stages of my career, being a pompous, arrogant, think you know it all, youngin. Versus coming back and having everybody look at you and, you know, standing there with five people who have a combined match total experience of three. And that's because one of the other people, one of the opponents has three matches under their belt. Yeah. You know, and here's the thing. When I was wrestling in the 90s, we didn't really. I didn't call matches in the back like. That wasn't how we did things back then. No, you're we still calling what, it in the ring. Yeah, you. then that was the how you did it. And I'm coming back in 2019, and I'm sitting in the locker room, and I'm watching things going down, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? And people are calling, like, eight-minute matches. I'm like, how are you doing that? Like, how do you remember all of that? And they're like, I mean, sometimes we remember it all, and sometimes, you know, we have to adjust on the fly. I'm like, so why don't you just... Do it in the ring. Like, what? You know, and it was, again, one of those weird things of how I was trained and how, what I picked up from when I first did this versus what I did now. And, like, when, and I'm sure Sid can tell you, when then they had their first actual legit debut match, what they did was very different than how I was taught and everything like that because it's just the nature of the business now. Not yeah. to say that it's wrong or anything like that. It's just there are there's just certain things that are just un not unreal, but just it it becomes some of it too has much. to do also with an expansion of styles because some styles you need to have a bit more of a concept of the framework. Some you can do you know some some matches will work perfectly with no one having any idea except you know what type of story they want to tell other matches. You need a little more concept of the structure. My first match is a bit of an odd story because, because of work schedule and distance from the training locations and just never being able to make training. I have this really weird, long protracted training experience with a lot less ring experience than that time should say. So we, my first match was approached very differently but we also did something that I think wasn't that different from what you would have done in the fact that we looked at it and we did, we did something very simple and straightforward. And it was the type of match you would have seen in the, in the nineties, except for it was between two women and it would have been a men's match in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> Which is legit and fair and everything like that. And it just like, I think one of the biggest opticals, ops, uh, well, Excuse me. Let me get a drink of water. That I've had when uh, obstacles I've had since coming back is trying to reconcile my past with what I'm trying to do now. Because depending on who you are and how you look at my career, I'm the returning vet or I'm a rookie again. Yeah. Like it, you know, like it depends on how you look at it. So once. I think two things really kind of helped solidify the direction I wanted to go 
with my character and my persona when I came back for this run was one, getting legitimately good gear that really plays up what the gimmick's supposed to be. You know, I spent that first year kind of in this like weird mid-range of trying to hold on to something from the past that 99% of people weren't getting because they weren't around for when I was doing that the first time. And the few people who were around didn't understand why I was still doing that coming back into this. So there was that. And then there was the, the reconciling the fact that even though I had such a wide gap from end of first run to start of second run, I'm technically a vet because I have an accomplished amount of time in the ring and Sid helping me actually figure out and get what the gear should be for the character and the gimmick and everything like that definitely helped propel me into a very specific place because when I was wrestling in the singlets or the singlet like gimmicks, a lot of promoters were like, well, I want you to be a heel. I want you to be a heel. I want you to be a heel. And, and, and I, or they just said, I don't get the gimmick. <laughs> or I don't get the gimmick, which made sense. The gimmick was very much an homage to the dog-faced gremlin Rick Steiner, but it's been so many years since he wrestles, not a lot of people get that. He's getting a resurgence because his kid's on TV now. Yeah. So there's kind of that thing. But like three years ago, nobody kind of understood where I was going with that. And then a lot of the time they didn't get the gimmick or, you know, they see six, three, 330 pounds. You're obviously a heel. It's like, no, I'm not a heel. You have a locker room full of heels because of the 20 guys you have on the roster, 18 of them are all want to be heels and arrogant. And, you know, they want to swear and chuck the bird and tell people to go blow and all this other stuff. And like, I can't do that. When Plus I, if there's kids in the audience, as soon as they see him, they go, you're a dad. Yep. Legitimately, I got when once we started rolling and started working for like House of Bricks and everything like that, which was Brick House's promotion and stuff like that. We were, I was booked in a heel in a heel tag team, but it, the crowd was very split because Brick had a very family oriented crowd that would show up, be it in Fairhaven or New Bedford or whatever like that. So a lot of like the older dudes or the dads or anything like that would boo me because, you know, that's what they saw and everything like that. But if they were there with their kids, the kids would cheer me, would come up and ask me for autographs. So it was a very split reaction, even though my partner very much was a heel and look heelish and everything like that. I still had like that flip flop because I don't get read as a heel. Even when I'm trying to be a heel, my heel is never is never going to be like a like an MJF or 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 uh, or Roman Reigns or anything like that because it just doesn't play right. I'm a comedy heel. If I go heel, I you're very much getting a slapstick vaudeville, Dick Van Dyke like kind of character that is a heel because I can't. I don't. The crowd doesn't believe in me being this evil persona. I think one of my favorite things, so he, he has a, he has a heel gimmick he did for Sully Banger. Um, and it was basically, imagine the Fonz or uncle Jesse grown up with kids and thinks he's still as cool as he was. That's the gimmick. And you know, he does the heel things. He gets the crowd booing him when he's doing this by doing goofy ass, you know, awkward, no longer cool dad stuff. 
but there whenever people actually go oh that character's a heel there's like this sound of betrayal in their voice like um we have a couple friends they're like you know they love this character they love this character he's a heel and they they just sound so heartbroken <laughs> even though like when the match has happened the character clearly is but because they it just I had a match with Corinne Mink as this heel gimmick character. And I, in the middle of the match, looked at her, then looked at the crowd, shushed the crowd, and said, you, literally, like, this was the spot. You need to calm down. No, he, he started looking at the audience and said, this always works. This always works. And go, you need to calm down. And, like, if that's not the most heel thing that a... Uh, in an intergender match that can happen. I don't know what is. She gets over, we finish the match, blah, blah, blah. I forget if it was the the three-way dance we were in or a fatal four-way, something like it that. Was, it was a three-way dance with you but, you and Frost. So, like, I am obviously playing up this heel as hard as I can to get Corinne over because Corinne is the face of this match. I lose and everything like that. The crowd booed me when I did it. She, they cheered her when she popped me. The match ends, I start to leave, and everybody's chanting, you're still cool. Like, so, like yeah, uh, I think that part of the gimmick was he was the cool guy. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So it's like, like, as I, the only thing I could have done that could have possibly been more heel was kick a puppy. <laughs> and I still think I could have gotten over at the end of the match as a face because that's just how I got red. And then, like, we're talking, like, college crowd, Sunday night, artsy-fartsy kind of college crowd who really don't know much about pro wrestling. And, like, they was... And it's just that thing. And I don't... I don't... I'm not comfortable being a heel. I'm not... I'm not... I don't like being a heel. It just doesn't play right for me. And, again, most of the locker rooms you get into, majority of those locker rooms, those characters or those workers play heel characters. Just is what it is. I mean, that's what they do because who grew up listening to CM Punk or or Daniel Bryan or whatever like that, and that's what they want to do, and that's great. But I couldn't do that. And then when we got the superhero suit and everything like that, being and then telling promoters I'm a face, and they go, "Oh yeah, well, I mean, you wear a damn cape. Obviously, you're a face. <laughs> you look like Mr. Incredible. We know where this is going. <laughs> we know where this is going. And again, if there's kids in the crowds, I'm. I'm, I barely have to try, and I'm over because they want to believe in it, and yeah. that's to me what wrestling is. You know, we, it's we debuted, a, we debuted at a new company uh, last year, uh, new to us. We'd never worked there before. It was an audience that had very minimal overlap with the other companies we worked at. There was like three people who had, who knew us from before. We came out. The front row is half kids. They're screaming <laughs> because there's a big guy in a Mr. A blue Mr. Incredible suit. Like, I mean, it's not that difficult to, 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 I mean, once you, the appearance of what the character is with the suit and the cape now makes it easier to do what I need to do. And that's probably one of the best things because that definitely gets me into a lot of doors. The other thing that I think that helps is that because I'm coming at this now as someone who was away from the business for so long, 
who gets into a locker room and there's a lot of again younger people who are have you know, they might have technically more years in but they're still like 15 years younger than me is kind of like a like we joke that you know I have this dad energy and like that or like I'm Uncle Bosch or something like that and it's it's like this and by mental- joke by joke there are probably about 17 workers plus a, a plus several of their girlfriends who all call him dad or uncle in <laughs> southern new england it, it's it should, they're not wrong it, 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 it's a thing like it and and i'm good with that because i think the biggest difference now for me as opposed to what it was in the 90s is back in the 90s i wanted to win titles and i wanted to be top of the game and i wanted to be and it took me 20 years of being out of it to realize that's not what's important. What's important is telling the story and getting the crowd invested. Yep. And to do that, I need to make sure one, that the people I'm working with will, will work with me on getting that point across. And two, making sure that these young kids who are coming up, who are hot as, as, as fire right now, aren't falling victim to their own hype. Yes. Like, you can be good, but if you stop believing you're that good, that's when your attitudes start to change, and that's when problems start. And I can see that because, for me, that's what happened. I bought my own hype, and I thought I was King Ding, and boy, was I wrong. And I didn't have a 25-year career like I wanted to. I ended up being gone for 20 years. So trying to help the locker room and trying to help the promotions and trying to elevate the story and things like that and and having it as a safe environment and a safe place and a place where we can learn and grow and everything like that and be Uncle Bosch or Dad Bosch or, or, or you know, the mentor to the mentee, but also at the same time still learning new tricks, even though I'm an old dog, I think it's probably been one of the best things to happen to me and I'm glad to be able to do that for locker rooms because I've been in a few places where that was severely lacking and a couple of nudges in the right place and all of a sudden things are starting to run more smoothly and shows are starting to be elevated and people are starting to have more fun and that's the thing too a lot of these people a lot of these kids they take this the pro wrestling on the indie scene like that like a little too seriously like yes Yes. i get it you guys are 20 21 22 you've been working really hard you want to get on tv you want to go interview and and audition for wwe you want to be on AEW dark or dark elevation or whatever ring of honor or impact or you want to travel into japan and that's great but you literally put spandex on come out to funny music and do weird things with body movement to get a reaction from a bunch of people you have never met and probably won't see again for at least a month. Yep. And you call yourself, you know, whatever. When it's you're supposed 20, to be fun. Everything's urgent. Everything's right. urgent when you're 20. I remember being 20. I've, um, yeah. Everything is important, and it's the most important thing that it will ever be. When, then when you look at having done something for a couple, you end up, like, time still can go fast when, when, you know, after you've 
you know, witnessed stuff for a couple of decades, but you also realize like, like you're, you're forced to slow down. You start off and you do start looking at things differently. And it's, you know, how can you, how can you build this up and encourage? It's just, it's not that there isn't the drive there. It's the, your points of view change and it's something that and it so it's in no way any sort of shade on the younger workers because they are out there and they are in a place in their life they are in the whole world's on fire and this is something they love they are passionate about and they are good at and i don't blame a single one of them for this being so serious and so important and maybe this will change their life and, um, and that's, that's because that's where you are true. when you're 20, um, and some of these kids are gonna make it. Like there are so many of them. Like we were talking about AEW recently, or in this earlier. One of the the things that makes me love AEW is when they go on tour, and I go, "Hey, I, those are our friends." Like the the fact, even if it's a dark match, I don't care. The fact that people we do shows with, people that we train with, then get to go, you know get to do and it's not under the hood it's not under a fake name it's not a it's not like you go out as generic person get squashed they go out with their gimmick to a to a probably about three quarters full stadium and which get is bigger to than a lot of love. that's so amazing which is still like, bigger than a lot of shows that they've run on the indie scene and everything yeah. like that but you know like being a, and and here's the crazy thing like I'm gonna name drop because this is this is leads back to my point. Seeing Becca or Little Mean Kathleen on AEW Dark, oh, whatever. Wave and Pearls, we can't forget that because yeah, they, they, Pearls. why are they not signed yet? <laughs> not wrong. You know the um, Bear Country, like not so much beer country, but I mean, we've shared a locker with them, but like we've done a bunch of stuff with waves and curls. There was a point in time where I was in the ring with Becca and Becca was trying to develop that back handspring slap thing. And I was one of the people that they were working on because they were able to do the back handspring. And if they didn't judge the distance, right, they would crash into me. And I, can sit there and guaranteed i mean i'm not saying that i'm her trainer or anything like that but like i helped we practiced with her you practiced with her when she was figuring out where she wanted to do things in the very early stages exactly you know and the same thing like and i've been in the and i can say i've been in the ring with waves and curls and and becca and leo and kathleen and alex price and george Arall and like like joel Jarrell and i sat in a, a test of strength training practice one, and he's sitting there talking to me and giving me advice, which was great because he had done so many, like, uh, for lack of a better way, auditions and, and 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 development training and development matches and stuff like that with WWE and AEW and stuff like that. Like, and here's this guy who's probably about 15 years younger than I am, giving me advice on what's going to make me better so that I can do the thing too. I, like I said, I'm 40, almost 45 years old. If, if miracle of miracles happen and I end up on an AEW dark elevation or a rampage or something like that, I I'm I'm done. My career is set. Like <laughs> yeah, I am I uh, I have no delusions now that I'm going to get a contract. 
Like when I was 21, I thought I was getting a contract because I thought I was that good. I'm old now. I, I don't fit the bill for what most places are looking for. I Could it happen? Yes. It is not what I am banking on anymore. But if for some reason they come up to Providence, Boston, Connecticut, whatever like that, and I get that call and I can be on a show, I can say I did it. Boom. Career, career is made. I am happy happy man and that's great but the fact that i can sit there and be like hey i remember when they were starting out and this was the gimmick and that was the thing and look at where they are now and blah 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 like that's that makes me feel a sense of pride and again it's not one of those things where i can be like well i took this kid and brought them up and kicked them in the pants and now look at where they like that's not where i'm going with this like there was a moment in time where I was able to help kind of course correct or help navigate a certain specific rough patch of water and look at what that they have done with that. Because from there they went to this and from this they went to that and from that they went to there and now all of a sudden they're this and they're traveling around and they were in the this and blah, blah, blah. And wow, you know, and that's, yeah. that's something I think is one of probably my most wonderful moments right now like i had a match with ajp who is a very talented wrestler and a very smart human being that kid is just crazy amazing and everything like that and for a year and a half i'm watching this kid and he's having his matches and he's doing these matches and he's throwing all these moves and they're doing these spot fests and everything's crazy like that and it finally happens where the storyline and stuff gets to the point where we're gonna have a match together and i look at him like kid you're amazing i can't keep up with you we need to slow this stuff down and we were gonna have that match and then the following week he was going to have his first big title match in a promotion that was not his home promotion like and they would tell him a story and it was building up and everything like that and the match he and i had he slowed down enough where we could tell that story that we were telling and he got a lot of praise and kudos as it was one of his best matches to which he went and did that title match that next week and blew the roof off the place because we were able to get him to look at wrestling from a different perspective and yeah. that he didn't need to throw 15 super kicks and three Canadian destroyers and a <laughs> bunch of others all the jumping, rubbing, flipping, so like you could throw a super kick and let it sit and then go to throw another one and have it reversed, which then turns into a Canadian destroyer. And, oh, my God, the crowd is going crazy. And for me to see that happen and to have people come up and have, say to him, that was an amazing match you had, and then have him go, well, if it wasn't because of this, then I wouldn't have gotten that. And that's like a huge source of pride for me. And that's kind of a thing that I work on and that I hope to bring when I go work at other promotions. Like, and, and that match, when I talk about, when we talk about being a good match, like that was a match where like, yeah, we like not, not even knowing the card. We're like, yeah, we know how this is going to go. We, 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 we know who's supposed to win this. Just knowing, you know, knowing what the arc had been up to that point. And we're sitting there going, doesn't matter if I a hundred percent knew where this was going beforehand because I'm still going to be upset when it happens. Like they told, like it was a really good match and it wasn't 
Like, and they was, told a hell of a story. It was they. Yeah, there was a story of this match, and we believe. I mean, these are. This is. And their their story continued past it. Was one of those matches where it's like it doesn't matter how much I knew was coming. It all still provoked emotional reaction, and that that was great. Like it's great to see someone grow. Um, and they they actually um, Bosch did a second match with AJ uh, this summer fall, and I recently just put a clip of it where it was you know where where you could say. Uh, AJ got someone that made him slow down, which then, you know, he got to use like, okay, this is how I slow down in a match or, um, because I think his opponent would have slowed him down anyway, but it, you know, having it not be the first time someone said, no, we're doing this slower. Um, I think the match he did, there was the, the second, the match he did this past this fall, they both, they both brought a lot out of each other. There was, there was things that I think, working with AJ this this match, Bosch got to bring out that he hasn't gotten to bring out or hasn't had a chance to play with. And so, like, I've been getting to see as sort of the person that sort of literally shoved Bosch back in the ring, I've been getting to see this this growth in him as a worker as well. Um, and that's been really interesting to see. And, yeah, and it's crazy to think of, of where you can be you know, years ago when you were nervous and think you're going to throw up to, to what you've been able to do now and and the little, you know, piece that you get to be in other people's journey along the way. And I think the thing, the big thing for me that kind of cemented that for me, um, that put, that nudged me and put me on that path is that we did a seminar before one of the studio taping for a Proving Ground show. And the seminar was, I mean, I call it a seminar. He doesn't call it a seminar. He calls it hanging hanging with Bob. Bob Evans was brought in to work that show and everything like that. And But he also ran a seminar kind of thing beforehand. And there was only a few of us and we got to play around in the ring and Bob is somebody that I've known since the nineties because Bob basically started power league wrestling, handed it over to his friends. And as he was taking his steps away because he was accelerating and making it bigger and, and, and out there more, you know, and working WWE TV and stuff like that is when I came in. And one of the biggest mistakes I made, as I've said, is I never utilized the knowledge that Bob had back in the nineties when he would sit in locker rooms and try to hash things out with people and try to help them grow and stuff. Because, you know, again, I was a pompous 22 year old and everything was in a, it is a sense of urgency and I'm going to do it this way. And I'm obviously the best. And there's obviously nobody knows what the hell I'm talking about or doing because I know it all and coming back and then, Bob gets to do this seminar and Bob and I are talking and we start rehashing a lot of old stuff and we're talking. And again, it's two old friends talking and stuff like that. And as we're doing this and the roster is starting to fill in and things like that, and he's wrapping up the seminar, he's, he's talking to the people and like, you know, giving sage wisdom and stuff like that. And he turns to me and he goes, you know, like you, you're not one of these returning vets who's, you know, pompous and thinks everything 
that you do is king is king gold. You're actually here and you're learning and you're trying to help and you're doing this and that's probably one of the best things that you can do as a returning vet. And that's when it clicked for me that, well, damn, I'm not actually looked at as a rookie. People actually see me as a vet. They take what I say in this mentoring capacity a little more seriously. I need to do better as a mentor to make sure that the praise that was just heaped on me by one of the New England's, I don't know what you want to call I don't want to talk out of turn or try to over. Bob has it. a legacy in this area. He, does. he has yes. literally, he literally has helped found multiple companies. Yes. You know, his drives with Bob's program, like the, the drives he does where he's like, hey, I'm going to go on a five week or five day or week long tour of this area, jump in the car. And he just opens that up to and welcomes, you know, any wrestler who's willing to haul their own like he's an institution. He is. And the fact that he heaped that that praise on me not only made me feel good, but definitely went, okay, I now have my direction and I know what I need to do. And I've taken that to heart from what he says. And again, when I get into companies, whether it's companies I've been at or new companies that I'm, I'm stepping into, I am doing what I can to make sure that the ship runs as smooth as possible while also a learning for myself but be also helping to elevate everybody else because it's not about the eye or the superstar. It's about the roster. It's about the promotion. It's about bringing everybody up because if you bring everybody up together, everything goes up. Whereas if you bring one person up only, then you get this weird stagger and then resentment happens. That's not yep, cool. That so, is the best. You put it perfectly. You know, and, and don't get me wrong, there are definitely people out there that are a lot hotter and a lot quicker on the uptake and deserve a lot of the praise they get. And then there are some people who get smoke blown because of who they hang out with and everything like that. And it's like you have an unfounded sense of superiority because you and you haven't earned that. So maybe take it down a notch. And it's, most people will listen. Some people won't. And, you know, you do what you can. And it's not worth having fights or getting heat or whatever you want to call it. And just basically work with who you can and you try to do what you can and, and, and to better everybody. And that's, I think, my big thing. Because as much as I would love to be the guy that walks into a promotion and the promoter looks at me and goes, all right, I'm putting the belt on you and you're going to be my flagship and everything like that it's not necessarily as important as, hey, listen, Bosch, I got this new kid. He's only a couple of matches in. I need to get him some exposure. Can we do this? You think you can help him? And I'm like, absolutely. What? Just tell me what you need him to do. And a lot of the promotions that we go to now, my job is to help the kid or the, the worker get the experience to elevate them to bring them up, to, to show them how to put the pieces together and and make it so that they can continue on this venture that we all love 
because we're all obviously there for a reason. And most of the time it's that because we love what we're doing. Yeah. And uh, that was a great way of putting it. And I kind of hate to cut it off at this point, but we are way past my bedtime. I have to be up at five. (laughs) (laughs) Believe me, I get it. Uh, but I'm definitely going to hit you guys up about trying to do a second piece before the month is over so that we can, you know, maybe get some of the questions done this time. But this was listen, listen, we've done a bunch of podcasts and everything like that. And I will tell you right now, they always come up with a list of questions and guaranteed by the third one. We're off topic completely and on different tangents. I'm waiting for for Leo Connors to call me back because we didn't even get to do the name game because we were just. <laughs> so deep diving into everything else so if we can make it happen absolutely i'm pretty i think i can speak for sid on this one where we're like whatever you want to do that let us know we'll get this done because these are always fun all right i'll actually uh as soon as we stop this i will look at my calendar again and hopefully set something up <laughs> sounds good I, it sounds like you had fun too i did i had a great time you you just got us. You got the, the the info dumps and the brain rambles and the whole nine yards. <laughs> well, again, thank you guys so much. Uh, appreciate I, it. I'm man. going to be and talking again, to you very soon. <laughs> appreciate everything you do too, and what you're trying to do around the area as well. You know the Hachman gummy stuff. Very cool. Wish we could have been a part of the first one. Totally get why we weren't, but hopefully when it comes back around again, we'll be there. Yes, there's definitely. I definitely want you guys a part of it. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to get it back and all Look, the financials life, and all that stuff. Life is a thing. <laughs> uh, it, it's and putting on a show is a minimum. Like it's not cheap. No. Um, and I went it, way overboard the first time. <laughs> yeah, no, putting on shows isn't cheap, and I mean you have the advantage. There's a couple places that have that have rings that you can make use of but it's it's there's a lot of challenges with it so absolutely so all right well again thank you guys so much uh i can't wait to have you back on and and get more of this because this was probably to me this is one of the best ones i've ever done simply just because of what was talked about and the knowledge that was dropped and just the overall theme and where it went this is this was a great one Appreciate it, man. We had a lot. Of, I had a lot of fun. Said oh, you yeah, had definitely. fun. Cool. Oh, no, I had fun. Cool. You know what? Someone let me get weirdly intellectual on a podcast on a podcast about wrestling. I'm cool with it. <laughs> Jake, thank you so much, man. We appreciate it. You welcome. You guys have a great night. I'll talk to you later. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye. Hi, right, everybody. That was the mighty Bosch and Sid Morgan. Sorry about not getting to the randoms. But I'm definitely going to hit them up, try to have something with them before the end of the month, and then I'll, I'll try to double up on random questions. Uh, as for me, I have to be up at 5 in the morning. Uh, that's why this will probably get posted tomorrow. <laughs> so when you're listening to this, and if it's like midday, and you're like, what's he talking about? You'll know. So I love all you guys, and I will talk to you soon. Later.